Okay, well, it is a real pleasure. Chase, I've known for, man, long time, Chase. I knew Chase when he was a naughty boy. <laughs> uh, but they, Jamie and Chase played at Wheeler, football, lacrosse. His family's a wonderful, godly family. He's going to share his story of redemption and how his recovery led into the business that he's now in. And uh, he's married to Cassie, as Ferris said. They got three French bulldogs. He loves to shoot guns. They live in Nashville. And Chase, I'm just so glad you're here, man. I'm so glad to see you're nine years sober. Wow. Incredible. So I'm going to pray for you, then I'm going to ask you to come on up, okay? Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for what you've done in Chase's life and a beautiful woman you brought into his life, Cassie. And Father, we just thank you for redemption and for hope and for changed lives. And we just pray you'll speak through Chase tonight as he shares his journey and that he'll offer us words of hope and encouragement, Father. And we pray that everything he says will bring you glory, honor, and credit. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, Brother Chase. I just want to thank Ms. Brocard and Mr. Brocard for having me out. And I appreciate each and every one of you coming out and taking time out of your busy schedule, schedules to listen to me uh, share my experience, strength, and hope through the my journey in sobriety. And so um, I did have a, a presentation. I uh, had a slide show kind of walking through my uh, life and some pivotal moments in my life. And Unfortunately, the adapter uh, doesn't work. You know, technology is great when it works, but when it doesn't, it's really annoying. So, um, I'll try to show you, you know, up here, kind of some of the pictures. If you can't see it, um, maybe I'll send it to you afterwards, and it all makes sense. Um, but yeah, basically, you know, they introduced me as Chase. Um, my real name is Charles Brantley, um, and the reason why. Um, I go by Chase is because when I was a little kid, my parents used to have to chase me around to put on my diapers. Um, and I say that just kidding, um, but you know, I was a very active kid in my young years, and um, you know, I was always getting into some sorts of trouble. And um, sorry, let me pull up my phone here. Uh, just have some cliff notes running through everything. Um, and so, you know, basically. Um, I grew up and I was born in San Antonio, Texas uh, with my dad and my mom and my brother and sister. Um, so let me go here. If you guys can see, this is me as a kid. Cute little baby. I don't know what happened to me. Um, <coughs> but, you know, I was always happy, smiling, and, um, you know, just I, I was a, an, an active baby. Um, and you can see here, here's kind of a, a picture of me, you know, just enjoying life and being a happy little, little child. Um, and then this next one, that's uh, when things began. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I put this picture up there just because, you know, it's, it was interesting that that got taken, you know, back when it did because, you know, everybody has a smartphone now and everything's put online or taking pictures. And it's just weird that that was a picture that was taken and, and kept. And obviously, I wasn't actually drinking a beer. It was empty. I found it in the trash. But... Um, you know, it, it it's you know part of my story is just that I was always kind of getting into trouble and getting into things, and um, you know I grew up in a in a normal household. Um, my dad was uh, in the Air Force, and he was uh, you know working to become a doctor, and he was stationed in San Antonio. And then when I was about four years old, he went to Desert Storm, but he was stationed in, in England. And 
So it was just my mom. So this is my mom, Susan, my dad, Steve, um, my sister, Allison. She was, she's three years older than me. Um, and then my brother, Ryan, and he's six years older than me. And then that's me right here. Um, but, you know, from the outside looking in, I had a, a pretty uh, normal family. And, um, you know, as a kid, like I said, my dad went away. Um, he was only there for a little while. Didn't see any anything. He was stationed in England. He just hung out. But, um, you know, there's a couple stories that stick out to me as a kid. Um, one is... <laughs> There's a story of when my dad was out in the yard and he was working on a fence and he was hammering away at the fence. And I came over with my pacifier and my diaper on and wanted to help him, you know. So I I walked over the fence and was trying to hammer the fence. And my dad was like, not now, Chase, like trying to repair the fence. I was just getting in the way. Um, And so, you know, I went off and he kept working on the fence and, um, you know, he started hammering the fence and. It was like tap, 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 and then he heard a tap, tap, tap. There's an echo or something going on. Tap, 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 and then he heard it again and walked over and looked, and he found me sitting there with the pacifier hammer, hammering his brand-new minivan. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, you know, uh, there's also other stories of me as a kid where, um, you know, I had baby powder and I went into the living room I took a whole thing of baby powder and just spread it all over the entire living room and my mom came in and was just like like Chase again you know Um, just tons of stories where you know I took some forks and knives and decided to put them in the garbage disposal and turn it on I don't know how I did that um, but I did you know and um you know, one, one, one story that kind of stands out and uh, me, you know, this is kind of me as a kid. I'm, you know, a little toddler, so I'm barely walking around, crawling around. Um, I ended up somehow getting into my parents' car, putting in a reverse and driving it down the driveway and like almost hitting some other kids and stuff. And uh, so, you know, I just was always active, getting into trouble. And luckily no one got hurt. Um, so, you know, everything was okay there um but you know that that was kind of me and so we moved from san antonio to atlanta um that's where i spent most of my life um you know i moved there at four um and lived there until about 25 um and so you know once we moved we moved into sibley forest and that's where the brocards live and many of my other friends um live as well and uh we, I started going to Soap Creek, and, you know, church to me in the beginning was, you know, kind of like a, a thing in our family. It was, you do the big Easter and Christmas, and, you know, every once in a while, you know, go on the Sundays. And um, so, you know, we came here, and we attended uh, Mount Bethel, the Methodist Church. And I was christened, um, but, you know, as a kid, I didn't really fully understand the meaning of, of God in church. And so um, that was part of my life, but also wasn't, you know, everything until later on in, in life. And, um, you know, uh, there's so many stories of me as a kid. It's funny because, um, you know, my wife there is an amazing woman and uh, her life is, you know, I'm not saying dull or boring, but like her life is like a normal, like what a normal, what I mean, looks like a normal life would be, you know, not getting into all this 
chaos and trouble and you know breaking things and um so you know for me like that was just normal um and that's just how i was you know i just was always active um you know there's one time we went to savannah georgia and we were um at you know a historical place and my cousin and i um, decided we thought it'd be a good idea to take some bricks and throw it through this glass structure and the glass structure was a historical greenhouse that we didn't know about so we got big spankings for that (laughs) um but yeah, so I, I kind of say all that. Um, I also w- was um, very active in, in sports. Um, I had a very, I always wanted to, something had to stimulate me or keep me going. Um, I always wanted to be involved with soccer or swimming. You know, my parents got me into tennis. I did all those things. And, um, you know, I played a lot of sports and ex- excelled pretty well at them um, at a young age. You know, I started crawling really fast and running when I was really young and dancing, you know, I was, I was a happy little kid. Um, so, you know, those are some of the things that, um, you know, I did in my early years. And then I moved to, when we moved to Atlanta, Georgia, let me go here. Um, you know, I went to Soap Creek, I got into trouble there. I was having a hard time with school. And um, there was one time where I had to start wearing a sponge around my neck with or like a string because I was biting other children. And instead of biting other children, they were like, bite the sponge. And I was like, okay. And the reason being is because I had a hard time communicating like what was going on, how I felt um, when I was angry. I would rather bite or hit someone, you know, I didn't know how to verbalize it very well. Um, So, you know, I went to Soap Creek, made friends with Jamie and a bunch of other kids and... Um, I, in my middle school years, so elementary school, you know, I was having a hard time in school. Um, and when I went to, uh, they transferred me from Soap Creek to Love It, which is a private school. And that's in Fulton County. And I started going there, living in East Cobb. Uh, I didn't really feel like I fit in there, uh, you know, <laughs> sad to say, but my dad's a doctor. Um, and, you know, we had pretty well-off family, but going to love it, I felt like I was poor, (laughs) which is crazy because some of these people had huge mansions and Ferraris and kids were driving BMWs to school. Um, And so, you know, as a middle schooler, I just, I kind of felt like an outcast a little bit. I had a hard time fitting in and middle school was very tough for me. Um, I don't really have a good picture. I was trying to find it, but there's a picture of me with like spiked hair. I have a gap in my teeth and braces and like puka shells and I was like I'm cool you know um but that was um a hard time for me you know because I was having a hard time in school and I was having a hard time paying attention and focusing and doing well on tests and it seemed like everybody else just did it naturally and it was like so easy to them and I was just like I don't understand how they're doing this, you know? Um, and so basically, uh, my parents got recommended to have me evaluated for ADHD. Um, and so I went and saw a psychiatrist and did a bunch of tests and sure enough, I passed with flying colors. Um, you know, I was diagnosed with ADHD. Um, and you know, many of kids were, um, could have been overdiagnosed. I don't, you know, I'm not a 
doctor or anything, but, um, you know, I definitely knew something was different as a kid because of how hyper and active I was and how I could barely pay attention in class and couldn't remember things. And it was hard for me. Um, and so, you know, this is a, a picture for me of me in middle school. Um, this is actually me doing a, a mission trip and, um, you know, that's part of my, my journey is I, I had a struggle with God throughout this whole thing. Um, and, you know, I went on this mission trip and I was so full of life, so happy, uh, never felt closer to God in my life. And, uh, you know, it was almost like what I had been searching for, but I didn't know it at the time. Um, so <clears throat> let me go here. Um, this is my brother, my sister, and then Alex. So Alex is my cousin that we adopted. Um, his mom was my dad's brother, or dad's sister, and she passed away from cancer, but we basically took care of her while she was in her final days. Um, and so, you know, Alex came into the household. We were taking care of my, my aunt at the time, and, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty stressful. Um, my dad, like I said, was a, a physician. He was a radiologist, so he was working a lot. Um, you know, he was providing for the family. My mom was at home taking care of the kids. Um, and so, you know, for me, um, with all this going on, with the struggles in school, um, you know, I didn't really have anyone to talk to and lean on. And, you know, like, I loved my parents, um, but also I feared my parents, you know, type thing where I didn't feel like it was a safe zone for me, a safe place to really share what was truly going on and how I was feeling. And also, I didn't really know how to express it as well. Um, so, you know, for me, uh, that was, the middle school years was, was very challenging. Like I said, I got diagnosed with ADHD. Um, I got put on Adderall. I'm sure a lot of you guys are aware of that. Um, and, you know, I just didn't like how it made me feel. Uh, it made me feel very robotic, and I did, lost my personality. You know, I wasn't Chase anymore. I was, I just felt like a robot. And it, and it helped me focus, and it, it probably was helping with school, but I just I didn't like what it did to me. So, um, you know, I, I was still love it and uh, made some friends there. They were kind of like the outcasts, too. Um, and one of the guys actually introduced me to marijuana. So I was about 14 years old when I first started smoking marijuana. And, you know, it made me feel good. It made me feel better than when I was taking the Adderall. It just relieved stress. It made me calm down. It helped me focus. Um, and I just felt like I was like, oh, well, maybe this, maybe this can help, you know. Um, and I was left to my own devices. I didn't know, you know, I had a hard time communicating with my parents. My mom, um, you know, I love her to death, but um, we had a strained relationship. We had a hard relationship at home. She was at home taking care of the kids there 24-7 when my dad was out working. Um, and, you know, she could be controlling at times and telling me what to do. Um, and I don't like that. If you know me, I like to make my own rules and decisions, um, but it didn't really fly well. Um, with my mom. So we butted heads a lot. Um, and, you know, my dad, he was my enabler. Um, you know, I knew what to say and do to get my way with my dad. Um, and I would always go to him and whatever I wanted or needed, he would end up bailing me out. Um, so, you know, my middle school years were, 
were a challenge. Um, you know, I, I had a temper as well. That's you know, a big thing for me. That's kind of why I got into football because I was playing soccer and I was pretty aggressive. Uh, and they're like, maybe you should try football. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I started doing football and, and I really enjoyed that. Um, but, you know, my temper played into the other parts of my life with Alex. Um, you know, we one I think it was Halloween and uh, we had silly string and, you know, those plastic wrappers that go around the top to keep the cap on. Well, I was trying to get it off and I couldn't get it off. And then he was trying to get it off. He couldn't get it off. And I was like, I'll get it off. And then I was like ripping it off and I couldn't get it. And he was like making fun of me. And I was like, shut up, Alex. And so I took the thing and threw it straight at him. And the bottom of the can uh, hit him straight in the head. And blood was just like spewing out. And, uh, you know, my mom came running in. So I had a short fuse. Um, and that got me in trouble later in life. And that's part of ADHD and ADD is having not having the ability to manage or impulse control. It's a hard thing for people with that. Um, and so, you know, I started dating a girl who ended up breaking my heart. I thought I fell in love with her. I was a middle schooler, you know, 14, 15 years old. And uh, she broke my heart. And so then I was like, Ugh, I don't want to do, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with women from there. Um, but, you know, this is me actually in the Dominican Republic um, in those middle school uh, years. And I think I was like maybe 15, so maybe uh, freshman year. But, you know, I was drinking. I started drinking. Oh, actually 16. So I started drinking at 16. So it was probably my sophomore year. Um, but my parents thought I was drinking lemonade, um, but I was not. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I definitely um, I definitely got into, into some trouble and uh, started experimenting with things early. Um, and, you know, I, like I said, I went to love it. Um, and then I actually ended up transferring my freshman year. I think it was actually right after my freshman year. Um, I transferred back to Wheeler. Um, public school and my mom ended up pulling me out of school um, just because there were some things going on at the school that she didn't feel like I should continue there and they should keep getting my money or their money Um, and so I ended up leaving and coming back to Wheeler which you know I'm actually really happy that happened Um, you know all my childhood friends were there and I reconnected with them and it's like we didn't skip a beat Um, and so you know I you know, I was always curious, always getting into things. Um, and I, like I said, I started drinking at 16. I convinced my brother, he was six years older than me, to buy me alcohol. Um, I ended up, <laughs> he was like, fine, I'll get you some alcohol, but you have to drink what I get. I was like, okay. Uh, so he ended up getting me uh, Smirnoff ice and a six pack of that. And I remember drinking that and just getting sick to my stomach and just... I got so sick. I threw up everywhere. And, um, you know, it's just a mess. And I was like, I'm 16 years old, you know. Um, and, you know, all this time I was going to church, but really wasn't my choice. You know, I just felt like my parent. whenever I didn't want to go, my parents said, you got to go to church. And I'm like, okay, but I don't want to go, you know. And, and I felt like a lot of times it was kind of forced on me. Um, and so, 
you know, I started to push away from God and with my learning issues in school, uh, you know, I wanted to become like this cool, big, bad guy, you know, where if I'm not as smart as you, I'm going to make you fear me type thing. Um, and so I also wanted to be a party guy. I liked, you know, how it made me feel. Um, and it also made me have, you know, some self-worth is what I thought. I just thought, oh, I was this cool guy, football player, you know. Um, and so, you know, like uh, they had mentioned before, uh, I played football. Let me go. Probably on this. Oh, well, uh, I'll go to this. So this is a, a picture of me and my dad and the Christ of Tetons. So um, we went to Jackson Hole and uh, did a men's mission trip. So like I was saying, you know, God was in my life, but I was kind of like one foot in, one foot out type thing. Um, I would say prayers like, God, get me out of trouble or help me pass this test, you know, not anything of value and not having a relationship with God. Um, how am I doing on time? Okay. 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 So this is also, I I know it's hard to see. They're kind of small, but this is me uh, in high school. So I was part of the Wheeler football team uh, and I was the captain of our team uh, my senior year. And we actually beat the number one team in Georgia, Roswell. And uh, unfortunately we beat them, but then ended up losing to another team in the first round, Peachtree Ridge. Um, and they went on to tie in the championship. So theoretically, maybe we kind of won. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, so, uh, you know, sports were always part of my life. And, and um, you know, this, I was a leader, but also I was terrified and scared inside. And, um, you know, I kind of flushed down my feelings and, and issues with substances. And, um, you know, I, uh, this is a picture of me recovering a fumble after, um, they punt, they were trying to punt it and I recovered the punt, blocked it and recovered it. And then we ended up beating them. So, you know, not all bad things. There's some good things in my life. <laughs> um, but this is a picture of me. I know it's hard to see. Um, but this is a picture of me, um, getting ready for prom. Um, but, You know, in my junior year, I ended up breaking my elbow uh, playing football, and I got prescribed painkillers, so I got prescribed Norco's. Uh, And, you know, my dad is a doctor, like I mentioned before. They were in Italy traveling, and I called them, or well, my sister called them. I had gotten prescribed Norco's. I left the hospital, and about five, six days later, I was already out of the painkillers because I had taken them all. And I convinced my dad, I just told him, you know, I'm in severe pain, like it's so bad. And so he called one of his doctor friends um, and ended up prescribing me more painkillers. Um, and so that's kind of when things took a turn. You know, obviously I started smoking marijuana at 14, drinking at 16, uh, 17, I started taking painkillers. High school, I was getting in trouble you know, getting detention on the weekends. But because I play on the football team, a lot of it kind of, they're like, oh, it's, it's cool. Like, you know, not a big deal. Um, and so, you know, I was just a mess in high school already. Uh, and I was not a nice person to be around. I was, I was pretty mean. 
uh, mean to my mom, mean to my dad. But I also was under the influence of, you know, drugs and alcohol, um, and so I wasn't who, I wasn't me, you know, I was someone else. Um, And there was glimpses of normalcy in my life, um, but this is a a picture of me getting ready for prom, and um, this is me, I don't know if you guys can see it, after prom, so there's a handle of Admiral Nelson, my car keys, and me passed out. Um, So I actually got kicked out of our prom um, because I got too drunk, and um, this is the picture, you know, after my prom. So, um, you know, my my senior year was was challenging. Um, I really wanted to do well in football, so I started abusing steroids, um, and I just hung out with the wrong crowd, you know. but I had two crowds, you know, I had church crowd and the good kids. And then I had people that I was partying with and doing other things with. Um, I don't think Chase is here anymore, but apparently I don't remember this. He said he was buying some, uh, substances from me and I ended up robbing him. I don't remember that honestly. Um, but that's some of the things that like I did, that's not me. Like, I was doing that when I was under the influence. I would do anything to try to, you know, get more drugs or alcohol, and I didn't really work. You know, I worked some summer jobs and stuff. Um, so, you know, the, the school stuff was, was hard for me, and then having the substance abuse issue was even harder. Um, my parents, you know, they had probably had some ideas. They're not, you know, they're pretty smart people. Um, but I think a lot of the times they kind of turned, you know, a blind eye and just wanted to not believe maybe it was really happening, you know. Um, and it's tough. I mean, you know, as parents, I'm not a parent yet. I got three French bulldogs, so I don't know if that counts. Um, but I can only imagine, you know, you raise your child and then this starts to happen to them. And you're like, what did I do? Did I do something wrong? Is it me? Like... How could I have been a better parent? But, you know, what they say, there's not an actual one set of genes. I'm not a doctor, but you can look this up. Um, there's not one single gene that's like, you have this gene, you have addiction. But there are multiple different genes that can make you more inclined to have addiction or substance abuse issues. Um, so there's actually a 40 to 60% chance, or 40 to 60% chance that it's genetic related. The other percentages, you know, environmental things, um, whether it's your, you know, your home you're raised in or, or trauma, other mental health issues. So, um, so the, I ended up, you know, playing football and, uh, I had an option to play football in college. I decided not to play. Uh, I had, you know, possibility of potentially walking on at University of Alabama, decided to go to Alabama, but, party instead um and so i was dating a girl at the time um and we decided to go to the university of alabama um let me skip ahead yep so that's me uh i joined a fraternity so i was a beta um and to me joining a fraternity was incredible um i thought it was like the perfect thing because i liked to drink and party and i joined a fraternity not for the right reasons obviously um and so you know this is all of us at a fraternity party, 
um, you can clearly see we're not sober uh, there. And, you know, my college years, it just progressed. Um, lots of drinking. Um, I got into abusing Xanax and, you know, some other Lortabs, Norcos, painkillers. Uh, was still, you know, smoking marijuana. You name it, I pretty much did it. Um, you know, ecstasy, all of it. Um, and basically anything that made me get outside myself and feel good, I enjoyed doing. Um, so this is a, another picture of us partying. Clearly, you can see I am not sober there. So, you know, college, it was just kind of like a thing that I did because my dad was like, you got to go to college to be successful. Um, you know, he became a doctor. He went through med school, did all that. So that was kind of his philosophy. And I was like, sure, I'll go to college. Um, and so, yeah, let me look. So yeah, I went to the University of Alabama, um, got into trouble there, of course. Uh, you know, a couple times I got pulled over driving drunk, got away because I told him I was in a fraternity and, you know, the fraternity house is right there. It's only a block. And I don't know, I just had a way of like getting out of trouble. Um, I was very manipulative. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, that was one example of, you know, how I was in college. And then I also um, <laughs> one time went to another fraternity party and decided to take a cello. That was an heirloom cello. It was like 1,800-year-old cello or something. Um, and we took it, and I ran off with it. We stole it, and I decided to smash it. And I smashed it, and uh, don't remember any of it because I was, you know, drunk and, and on Xanax. Um, and you know, I got a call from the dean not too long after that, and they started like investigating me and this other guy and asking us questions. And so I was pretty close to getting probably kicked out of college at University of Alabama, and um, you know, I my parents ended up coming for parents weekend and all this stuff was kind of going on and my parents were there to come visit me you know, they were proud of me whatever and of course I was not really going to class and if I was I was cheating and not really paying attention um, and so they came and visit me for parents weekend and uh, we were supposed to have lunch one day and I didn't show up it was like one o'clock Still not there. Two o'clock. Still not there. Three o'clock. Still not there. So I've been arrested, and um, I got a minor in possession, resisting arrest, and fake ID. Um, I tried to get into a bar with a uh, fake ID, and bouncer basically said, "If you think that's uh, if that's a real ID, go show this cop." And me being me, I'm like, "Okay, of course. Yeah, it's real. I'm convinced it's real. Like I'm gonna convince you it's real." So I went and knocked on the um, cop store or window and uh was like hey this guy's trying to say you know i need to show you my id if, it, if it's real so you can so they'll let me in and he just like rolled up his window i was like what the heck so i knock again and then the cop gets out and um he's like let me let me see it and, and i was like uh, he was like if it's a fake id then you need to walk away and i was like okay so then i was like okay this is getting serious like i'm just gonna leave so I start walking away, and he's actually, never mind, come back here. He was like, come back here. Let me see that. And then I, like, went to hand it to him, and then he grabbed my arm, and he was like, you're under arrest. And um, I decided it would be a good idea to 
turn and elbow him, and I elbowed the cop in the face. He fell down, and his other cop came, and I was like running, it was raining, and he tackled me to the ground, um, and then I got thrown into jail. So I didn't meet my parents the next morning or next afternoon, and um, obviously I came around like four o'clock, and I told them the whole story. I was crying. And I was like, I'm so sorry. And they're like, all right, you're coming home. And they're like, if you ever got it, we said if you got arrested, like, you're done, you're out. Like, they already knew I had um, some problems. And so I left, um, took a summer off, uh, and just played golf, hung out with friends, you know, just enjoyed some time with friends and trying to recollect my thoughts. Then I decided to attend the uh, Kennesaw State University. Uh, so I started school up there and... Uh, let me go to the next slide. So this is a, me, a picture of me playing rugby in college. Um, one of my friends, Joe, uh, was from England, and he played football with us in high school, and he was like, you got to play rugby. So he went to Kennesaw, and I was like, okay, cool. Like, I don't know anything about it. He was like, you're going to love it. It's way better than football, which he was right. I love rugby. Um, but as you know, rugby is a, a very aggressive sport, um, and lots of injuries happen. Uh, so, you know, I was having issues with my AC joint and, you know, shoulder issues, breaking fingers, things of that nature. Um, and, you know, I was having, you know, a bunch of different injuries um, from rugby. Um, this is me during that time at Kennesaw with my rugby friends partying. Um, we are in Key West. So, you know, my life seemed like one big party, but inside, you know, I was really hurting and having a hard time. Um, and so this is me playing rugby at Kennesaw. I got hurt. Um, and so, you know, they would give me um, those cortisone shots to help you get back in. I think it's cortisone. Um, and basically, you know, kind of numb the pain, you get back in, you're good. So with these injuries kind of mounting up from my elbow and some of the things in, in rugby, um, I actually started to get more into painkillers. I got introduced to Oxycontin and Roxy's, or Roxycontin. Um, and, you know, I, that's when things kind of really um, took off for me. So, you know, I started um, really getting into the painkillers. And um, so I... One night I was uh, dating a different girl, so the girl that I went to Alabama with, obviously those things ended, a uh, very rocky relationship. Started dating another girl um, at Kennesaw State, and one night we went to a comedy show, and I just made an absolute fool of myself and embarrassed her because I was under the influence and didn't know what I was doing or saying, you know? And I definitely made a fool of, of, of myself. And so I was always adamant that, you know, I could drive, I was good, like things are good. So I ended up um, taking, you know, driving us home. And luckily, somehow, you know, luckily, God was watching over me and my parents were praying for me. I never got into any car accidents. I got into a little fender bender and I was actually sober. Well, kind of, I mean, I wasn't drunk. <laughs> so I got no DUIs and no like fatal accidents, um, by the grace of God. And, you know, I, um, ended up driving us home, passed out on the, on the floor and woke up the next morning, my parents above me, the girlfriend there. And I was just like, what's happening? And, uh, obviously they're like, you need help. And I was like, 
I mean, probably, <laughs> you know, I was like, uh, you know, I, I think I probably do need some help. Um, and so anyways, I ended up going to uh, Foundations Recovery Network, which um, Ms., Mr. and Ms. Brocard recommended. Uh, we didn't know what to do. You know, we, we, I mean, my parents had never been through this. They didn't know who to turn to or what, what to do. And they reached out to a friend and um, obviously they had been through similar uh, situation and they plugged me into Foundations Recovery Network, um, which was an outpatient program in Roswell. So I went there for, I think it was like 90 days, um, got out and I was like, cool, you know, I learned a lot, I'm good. Uh, and so, um, you know, I thought I could drink and I was like, okay, I could probably drink. Like it's just the painkillers and the other stuff that's bad for me. So I started drinking some. Um, I was on an opiate antagonist, uh, opiate blocker, um, Suboxone. And so, or actually I was on Vivitrol at that time. So it actually made me really sick when I started drinking. Uh, it's similar to Anabuse, which makes you throw up. I didn't realize Vivitrol makes you really sick and I got really sick. But eventually, you know, I stopped getting the shots and was drinking and started to steal my girlfriend's painkillers from a surgery. And then it just started to, you know, progress from there, stealing. I would go through people's medicine cabinets, looking for drugs, taking, you know, painkillers or whatever I could find. Um, and so, you know, I got a little bit of sober time, but I couldn't maintain my sobriety. So that was my first attempt. I didn't go into inpatient or residential treatment. I did tried outpatient. And it was good. It was, it was helpful. I learned things. Um, but also, it wasn't enough for me. I needed more. I needed more uh, structure and more of an environment where people could support me and I could break that that addiction. Um, so this is me again. Um, like I said, started abusing uh, substances again. And I went on a study abroad when I was at Kennesaw during my senior year. Um, and I went back into foundations again and uh, trying to you know get get things back on track and it was pretty quick they i ended up seeing the doctor and just be like hey you know i'm going on this trip to europe i really need some you know suboxone or something to help me because i'm not going to have stuff there while i'm in europe um and so he prescribed it to me and i got on it and i was planning on trying to stay you know sober and do this whole trip and I guess I didn't plan well enough because I ended up running out of the medication. And so I started drinking and I started drinking very heavily. Um, and basically me and a couple of other people almost got kicked off the trip because we were drinking Long Island iced teas on the beach and everybody was just, you know, hammered and not in their right mind. So, um, you know, that was uh, <clears throat> a rough part in my journey. Um, and, you know, almost basically I almost failed out, um, you know, having to leave. I would have had to retake, you know, courses and stuff. Um, so, you know, during that time I came back and my parents were like, you're a mess. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and so I ended up going to a wilderness therapy program in Boone, North Carolina called Four Circles. Um, I don't know if they're still around anymore. Yeah, no. Um, but I learned a lot. Like I was in the woods for 50 days backpacking. Um, and you know, when you're alone with your thoughts, you, you learn a lot about yourself. Um, 
and and it was a good experience for me, and I learned survival skills. So if any y'all need like a fire or anything in the woods, I could probably do that. Um, somehow I graduated with a bachelor's degree in business management. Um, you know, I guess I was like high functioning, but even though I had ADHD and substance abuse issues, I ended up graduating with a 3.0. Um, not really sure how. <laughs> um, and so, let me see, how much, what's the time looking like? You're good, Jason. Okay. Um, so this is me uh, with my dad, and, you know, I graduated school. I was still struggling with, uh, you know, painkillers and, and everything. And um, this was like me trying to get sober on my own. I was like, okay, I'll get some medications and withdrawal at home and we'll, you know, figure this thing out. Um, I don't need to go back to treatment. You know, I convinced them, I'm like, I'm good. We, we, we don't need to do treatment again. Um, and so I was withdrawing pretty bad at this point and this was my aunt she uh this was her funeral we were in savannah and she passed away from alcoholism so she had thrust of the liver and uh basically drank herself to death and my cousin wesley who previously in my story um that was his mom you know he found her um, passed away on the couch so that was a very traumatic event and um you know i was going through all this stuff um and my parents were basically like you know, th this is enough. Um, I would disappear. I would not pick up phone calls. They didn't know if I was dead or alive. Uh, my brother said that, like, he would call me and I wouldn't answer. So he'd start calling the police station, the morgue, see if I was alive or dead. You know, they, they didn't know. Um, it had gotten so bad. So they hired an interventionist, um, Bradley Baker, and he came and did an intervent intervention on me. Uh, and I ended up going out to um, Palm Springs, California to uh, do another foundation's recovery inpatient, Michael's House. Um, and I did that for, I think it was like 30 days. And then from there, I went and moved to Costa Mesa, California and uh, f did some more treatment. And so at about seven months um, sober, I became a house manager, which you typically after treatment, you go to a sober living and there's someone in charge and for some reason me with seven months i was like i'll do it because i'm you know i like to be in charge and i like to be a leader and i thought i could do it um but needless to say you know i couldn't do it um and you know this whole time i was just like wasn't really trying to get sober for myself you know it was more kind of like my parents want me to do it i was like i know it's probably not this isn't normal like it's people don't do this but at the same time it was kind of like to get my parents it was always like someone else's problem or you know it wasn't my problem um and so I relapsed um some of the guys at the house they relapsed and I found out and I was like okay well they all relapsed I was like gotta kick you guys out um and so they you know left and then one of my friends that is from here he was there in treatment, there was a lot of us from East Cobb, surprisingly, um, and he ended up relapsing and was asking me, like, "Do you want to do any of this?" And I was like, "No, like I'm good, like I'm, I'm trying to stay sober." And basically, long story short, I got back into it and um, got back into it pretty bad. I um, ended up doing heroin. Um, I had done heroin before. 
um, but I only like sniffed it and I didn't inject it. Um, and <laughs> yeah, my uh, drug dealer back in Georgia told me, he was like, never, whatever you do, never shoot it up. He was like, never do that. And he was like, you can, do, you can smoke it and snort it, you'll be good. He was like, but the way you're going to die is if you start shooting it up. And so I was like, okay, whatever, man. Like, you know, like that's probably a good idea. Like I probably should not do that. But then it also kind of piqued my curiosity. Um, and so, you know, my friend at the time, he relapsed and we, we started doing heroin and I ended up starting um, to shoot up heroin. And that was probably uh, the lowest point of my life. I ended up living in my car um, was couch surfing and I ended up probably getting other people addicted to heroin as well. Um, and you know, I did whatever I could to get away and get out of trouble. Um, you know, stole money from my parents, um, robbed people, you know, I never did any like armed robbery or anything like that. I was, I was more clever than that. You know, I would take people's checks and write my own checks and, take my parents' debit cards and pull out money for myself. Um, and so, you know, that, um, once I started shooting up heroin, uh, that's really when things uh, went went south. And all throughout this time, you know, I had many of friends who died from Oxycontin and heroin. Um, I, the kid who I started smoking marijuana with, he died. Um, and I've had probably about seven to 10, actually, seven to 10 close friends die. And then obviously lots of other people that I knew of and interacted. And I mean, just the other day I had someone pass away um, and he had been sober for a little while, but he couldn't, he was in and out and just never really fully committed himself. Um, and so this time when I went into treatment, called back up the last place that I've been to and I did it myself, you know, my parents, uh, the way that you know, they really helped through this process. They're always there for me. They are always loving me. Um, and, you know, they were supportive in their own way. Um, and when I, the last time that I've been into treatment, my parents, my dad was like, hey, you got to sign this contract. If you relapse again, you're not like, we're not talking to you. You got to go to a working program. We'll get you a flight there. You'll have to be sober for a year, work there for a year, and that's it. Like, you'll ne- we won't talk to you. You won't be a part of our lives anymore. And so when my dad did that, I was like, oh, this thing's pretty serious, you know, um, because he was the person that was my enabler, um, you know, and I really looked up to my father. And so when he put his foot down, I was like, okay. Um, and so, you know, I called back to the treatment center. Um, I went back through there, uh, so I've been through a few different places. Um, but when I finally figured out, like, I want this for myself, that's when things started to change. You know, I think getting exposed into treatment early on maybe helped me, um, but there is also, for me, I wasn't quite ready um, to make that change. So I definitely learned a lot from it and made mistakes. Um, and so, you know, I joined AA, uh, got a sponsor. I started sponsoring guys. I took them through the steps. I got a year of sobriety. Um, and, you know, I started to pick up hobbies. I don't even know where we are. Oh, okay. So this is when, <laughs> I forgot about this. I went to California, learned to surf, um, you know, just started making friends. So 
you know, I started making friends with sobriety, started picking up hobbies that I used to love to do, but obviously went to the wayside when I was going through my addiction. Um, so, you know, we we golf, we go play poker, we go to concerts, we do all the fun things you can do. You know, you can do everything that you did when you were drinking and partying sober, and that's what I started to, to find out. And, um, you know, I, let's see, I think I'm almost done. Um, I met this beautiful lady uh, in sobriety. So, you know, uh, I was playing golf at a golf course, and that's my beautiful wife back there. Um, and, you know, I went on my first date with her, and I just knew. Like, I knew that I wanted to marry her. She was the one for me. Um, absolutely gorgeous, uh, super sweet, um, funny, got a great sense of humor. And, um, you know, that's when, like, my life really started to change is, like, I started to go back to church a little bit more. Like, you know, she grew up in the church as well, and she hadn't really been going that much either. Um, But we both decided we wanted to start going to church again. And so we started going to Mariners in Irvine and uh, really began began our journey with God. And um, that's when, you know, my life started to change even more. Um, you know, I had a job working in, in healthcare IT. I worked for a, a billing company, and we were building, uh, building data analytics for billing companies. Um, and so, you know, I started to get into the healthcare space. And with my dad being in healthcare, um, I decided, you know, that's probably what I want to do. Um, and then I decided to open up my own treatment center. So I reached out to some people I knew in the industry. We partnered up, and we started a, a treatment center in Orange County, California. Um, and, yeah, I uh, – let's see. Oh, yeah. And then, um, you know, I've owned the treatment center for three years, uh, a little over three years. Um, and Cassie's been a part of my life basically since I've owned that. And uh, we ended up moving from California to Nashville, and we got married at her aunt and uncle's house. And it was an amazing, amazing wedding. And, uh, you know, I'm just super grateful and glad that God brought her in my life. It's crazy that I flew 2,000 miles across the country to find my wife, um, but God had a plan. I mean, he really did. And um, so that's us in Nashville. And then um, this is us at our wedding. And... uh, yeah, we got married, and uh, now we have three little children. Those are our French bulldogs. Um, but yeah, with that being said, that's all I have. Um, that's my my story. And if you all have questions, I'm more than happy to answer them, open forum, or you can come to me privately. Uh, and I'm more than happy to share my phone number. If you have anybody that wants to talk or you want to talk more, you know, I'm an open book. So um, thank you for all for coming out tonight. <laughs>